uh, we begin a new sermon series um, in the book, the biblical book of Esther. So what do we know about, what do we know about the book of Esther? Well, I guess we know that it's an Old Testament book. At least we've got that nailed. It's an Old Testament book. At least we know that. We also might know that uh, Esther is the last of the 17 historical books in the Old Testament. We might know that as well. Is there anything, is there anything else we know about uh, the book of Esther? Well, about three years ago, uh, at London City Presbyterian Church, we embarked upon a sermon series in another uh, Old Testament book. The book, not of Esther, but the book of Ezra. So let me put some of you to the test. If you were a part of London City Presbyterian Church about three years ago, do you remember how the book of Esther begins? No, the book of Ezra begins. Do you remember? The land of Israel was invaded by the Babylonian army. And the people of Israel, they weren't just captured. They were taken off en masse away into captivity in Babylon, right? Now, that's not the end of the story, is it? Like, all of a sudden, the Persian army appear on the scene. They come in, they fight and defeat the Babylonian army. And how does the book of Ezra begin? Remember? It begins with a decree from the Persian king allowing the people of Israel to return home. You see it? Like, okay, they've still got to be uh, under the control of the Persian Empire, but the Persian king says to them, okay, you can return, you can go back to the land. Well, what I want you to see just now is that this book, the book of Esther, it takes place about 50, 50 years after that event, after the decree. But get this, now think about this. Unlike the book of Ezra, unlike the book of Nehemiah, unlike the book of, I could go on, unlike the book of Zechariah, the focus of this book is not on the people of Israel who return to the land. The focus of this book that we're going to be looking at is on the people of Israel who, for whatever reason, they decide to stay. They stay in Babylon. They stay in the Persian province. So hopefully, even now, right at the start of the sermon, you begin to see, begin to get a glimpse of the relevance of this book, do you? Like, ask a Christians today living in London, living in the UK, aren't we sort of today increasingly aware of our status? What are we as Christians in this, in this world? We are strangers in a foreign land, aren't we? I mean, don't feel like that. We are sojourners, alien, a home that is not our own. And aren't we asking some of the questions that this book of Esther will address and answer? How do we possibly honor God in this hostile environment? Like, what should our attitude be to our pagan neighbors? What should our attitude be to our pagan authorities? All that stuff is addressed in this book. This is relevant stuff. And this morning, 
as we just look at the introduction, you know, chapter one is really just, in some ways it's kind of just setting the scene for this great drama that is going to unfold in the book of Esther. As we look at this, what I think we are given by the Lord God Almighty are three invitations. We are given three invitations in Esther chapter one. So, Let me do this. With all that said, let me encourage you to please have your Bibles open in front of you. We will be looking uh, closely at this text, so please have Esther 1 open, page 501 of the Church Bible. Let's note, first of all, (coughs) excuse me, that we are invited here to laugh at the powers of this world. You got it? We are, in this chapter, invited to laugh at the powers of this world. So, you got the Bible there? Ready? Let's begin this series. Okay, right at the start of the book, we're introduced to one of the main players uh, in this whole drama. We're introduced to the, the Persian king, King Xerxes. Now, Uh, What I'm sure you saw is that what is emphasized right at the beginning here is the sheer extent and scope of this man's power. Look at at what we're told about this guy. He rules, verse 1, from India to Kush or Egypt. See what that means? This is a man who rules over most of the known world. So you're with me when I say that this is one powerful guy, right? An incredibly powerful king. Now, no sooner is that established than we are given an example of the man's sort of power or majesty. I'm sure you noticed at the start here that we are, we're shown three separate banquets here. Did you notice that? Uh, There's three feasts, separate feasts that all exist. Why? For the honor of this king. Now just, just have a look with me. The first banquet is awesome, isn't it? Look at it. You've got men of importance from all four corners of the empire and they're all gathered together in this one place. And uh, that's quite a scene, I'm sure you can imagine. But did you get how long this feast lasts for? Look at the number. It is 180 days. Do you see what that means? That is a six-month-long party. I mean, I do not have the stamina for that. I mean, after maybe the first couple of months, you know, I'm out of there. You know, six months party. Then you've got a second banquet. Have a look. This time it is not for the men of the empire. This time it is for the men of the city. Men both great and small. This time, okay, the second banquet, it is not the power, but it is the exuberance of the king that comes to the fore. Now, do you see that? Like the, the author describes the second banquet in a way that is supposed to take your breath away. Do you understand that? That there's color in this banquet, isn't there? And there's marble everywhere. And there's mosaics, and there is gold, and there is silver. And what else is there in the second banquet? There's booze. I mean, there's there's booze. There's more booze than could ever be consumed here. And yes, there's a third banquet. But that's for the queen. 
That's for Vashti. She's not important here. Do you see it? The focus is on Xerxes. You and I, we're supposed to marvel at this man's might. Now you know as well as I do, friends, that um, with the advent of the internet has come an explosion in what we call satire. Isn't that right? Like in a previous generation where you know people might have been able to get their hands on a copy of Private Eye or they might have maybe watched an episode of Spitting Image or something like that. But today is different. You know, today there's a host of websites like, I don't know, you fill in the blank, you know, The Onion or The Daily Mash, a host of these sorts of websites. Now, why do those websites exist? They probably exist to poke fun at world leaders and certainly in this current climate to poke fun at politicians, right? You're with me in that. What I need you to see is that that is what is going to happen in this book. And that is what is happening here in Esther chapter 1. You see what I mean? That this incredible world leader here, Xerxes, this man who's have apparent control of, of everything, in this chapter, he is ridiculed. He's mocked. Now, do you see what I mean? Do you see how his apparent control begins to come apart? And do you see how things begin to be exposed and fall apart here? Like, what happens? Did you notice? We're in the second banquet. You get to the climax of the second banquet. So this is the seventh of seven days. Right? It's a big climax. What does he do? What does he want to happen? He summons his wife. Now, I'm sure when Adrian was reading that, I'm sure you've got a sense of how kind of sinister it is. Like, you see what he's wanting to do? Here's all these drunken men. And he just wants to parade his beautiful wife in front of them. He wants to parade what he sees effectively. It's just one of his great possessions. Do you see how sinister it is? And what does she do? Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it brilliant? What does Vashti do? She says, not having that. She refuses him. She says no. Now, I'm asking you, do you not see the irony of the story? Like, do you not see how almost kind of humorous it is, do you? Like, here's a man who's supposed to be in apparent control of the whole empire. A man who thinks he controls most of the world. And what's the truth? He cannot even influence his own wife. Isn't it humorous? Isn't it brilliant? And I hope you see at that point how the floodgates are kind of opened to a sort of torrent of farce. Because what happens next? Were you following the story? Now, Xerxes, who a moment ago was this great and grand king, <laughs> now he has to seek advice about how to deal with this troublesome woman. And what is the advice that he gets? He goes to these advisors, and you can see they're panicking. You know, they're, they're worried, oh no, this rebellion from this woman, oh no, it's going to spread to our wives. And they're panicking. So what do they get Xerxes to do? Don't you see how deliciously ironic it is? They get him this king who has been unable to do so. They get him to command all men everywhere to control their wives. Isn't it it ridiculous? 
But you see the point. I hope, I hope you see the point. That the apparent control, the apparent sovereignty of this king is being exposed by the biblical author for what it really is. It's all a fiction. His control is power. It's just an illusion. The whole thing is a sham. Now, how do we this morning in here, London City Presbyterian Church, how do we apply this farce? Well, I'm sure that as you're reading and thinking about Esther chapter 1, an expression comes to mind. There is nothing new under the sun. Isn't that right? You know, from Vladimir Putin to Kim Jong-un. You know, world leaders' displays of their power and their might continues to this day, right? And in fact, is it not also true that that continues even in our own country and the West. You know, don't we have politicians, men and women of power, who seem to be absolutely consumed by their understanding of their own importance and of their own influence? And I think that can begin to worry us as Christians. See what I mean? Like we see what is grand secular power in this country... And we see it today combined now with this desire to move away from Scripture and to move away from Almighty God. And don't we begin to panic slightly? Like, don't we begin to worry about what the future holds for us, for the church in this country over the next few years? So I wonder, do you hear what Almighty God is saying to you this morning? Do you hear it? What did we just sing We sang Psalm 2. What have we got in Psalm 2? In the face of worldly powers, delusions, the grandeur. What happens? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. And I wonder, do you see what you and I are being encouraged to do in Esther chapter 1? We are being encouraged to join in with that laughter. Like, I know what you're maybe thinking. I know, but we're supposed to respect our world leaders. Yeah! And we're supposed to pray for our political leaders. Yes, we are. But we are also supposed to understand and see the reality of their power. Like all control that they think they have, all this authority they think they have. Where did they get it? Where did it come from? All of it has come from almighty, sovereign God. Friends, I think what we see in Esther chapter 1, in Xerxes, in this brilliant story, is the fact that we, you and I, have nothing to fear at all from secular or worldly powers. Nothing. Do you see why? There is only one superpower worthy of the name. And it is our God, our immortal, our almighty So there's an invitation here to laugh at the powers of this world. There is, though, a second invitation that we need to appreciate and get in Esther chapter 1. Secondly, let's note this together, that we are invited to trust in the silent working of God. We're invited to trust in the silent working of God. Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, one of the uh, 
biggest grossing films of the past number of years was that Batman film, The Dark Knight. In the film, Bruce Wayne, he's Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne uh, hosts a fundraiser, a big party for one of the other main characters. Now, yes, in this party, in the fundraiser, Bruce Wayne eventually makes his appearance. But there is this brilliant moment in the film where he's nowhere to be found. You know, you can picture the scene, if you haven't seen it, that you've got all these posh people, like, dressed up to the nines, as my mum would say, you know, dressed up very smartly. And they're all sort of wandering around, sipping champagne. But they're all sort of looking at each other and wondering, where is he? Like, where's the host of this party? Where, where is he? Aren't you asking that question? In Esther chapter 1? Because isn't there a character here that is conspicuous by his absence? I mean, think with me about how some of the other books in the Bible begin. Well, how does Genesis begin? In the beginning? God! About John's gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God! And then just scan in mind what Adrian read earlier on. Who is not mentioned here? There's no mention of God in the whole of Esther chapter 1. Indeed, doesn't that take us to that glorious bit of Bible trivia that many of us know in here? What is it? That God is not mentioned, that God is not directly spoken of in, ready for this, in the entirety of this book. Is that a thought? God is not spoken of directly in any of Esther's ten chapters. Wait a minute. What is going on here? Like, does that mean that God is absent from the story? Does it mean that God is absent from Esther chapter one? Well, I don't know uh, how well you know this story. Do you know the story of Esther? When was the last time you read through the book? of Esther. Well, if you know the story, you'll know what's going to happen. You'll know that here, the people of Israel are going to face being wiped out. They're going to face being utterly annihilated. And they are going to need in this story, someone, someone to come to the rescue. Like, they're going to need a powerful person to work on their behalf, aren't they? They're going to need somebody, maybe, maybe, maybe a queen. And so I ask you, did you get it? Did you notice exactly what it was that those advisors advised Xerxes? Look at verse 19. What are the exact words? What do they say? The people of God are going to need a queen, someone to work on their behalf. And the advisors say to Xerxes, let the king give Vashti's royal position to someone else. Do you see? Do you see what's going on here? Do you see that, okay, he is not spoken of. But do you see clearly that God was at work? That God is in action, that he is there Paving the way for a protector of his people. Isn't that what's going on? Now think about that. God was working there through 
even the wickedness of Xerxes. God using, working through the extent of his kingdom, through the banquets, through the rebellion of Vashti, working through even those idiot advisors. And yes, it's silent. Yes, it's not declared from the rooftops. But you see that God was still there significantly at work. Now, do this with me. Would you think about the people of Israel at the time, the people of Israel in Persia, Now, we've said that God is absent from this chapter. Is it not also the case that the people of Israel are absent from that chapter? You see what I mean? Isn't it a secular scene entirely? So I ask you this, where were the people of Israel? Where are the people of God here? They're out in the fields, aren't they? Like they're just working away, they're, they're working in their homes, they're entirely unaware of what it is that's going on in the palace. But all the while, despite the fact that they do not know it, what is happening? God is working on their behalf. He is looking out for his covenant people all the time. He is working to keep them safe. And friends, I honestly think that that there should encourage us at London City Presbyterian Church. We live today in a time where we see very few miracles. Isn't that right? God does not part the seas. I don't know when the last time you saw fire rain down from heaven in judgment. And you see what that leads to for us? It can lead to doubt about our God. You know, we... we we see very little of his hand in action. Like we're crying out to God, aren't we, for the salvation of some of our children. We're calling out for the conversion of some friends. And where's God? He doesn't seem to be hearing us. He doesn't seem to be working. Where are the miraculous revivals of the past? But don't you see what we are being reminded of here? Though perhaps we see fewer miracles with our eyes today. Is your God still at work? Is he? Don't you see today, as I stand and speak to you, in this earth, in this world just now, almighty God is working behind the scenes in everything. Isn't that a thought? Like he is moving all things. He's orchestrating all things. Listen to me. He is moving and working through even today's secular authorities and powers. Isn't that marvelous? What's even better than that is why is he doing it? Quite simply, he is doing it for us. For the protection, for the spiritual prosperity of his covenant people. So yes, God is not mentioned in Esther chapter 1. And we'll come back to this. And he's not mentioned all the way through this book. But he was at work. He was then. And God is at work today. And then we'll close with a third invitation that we see here. A third invitation. We are in this chapter invited to feast with a better king. We are invited to feast with a better king. 
if as a congregation we're going to understand this book over the next number of weeks, what's the first thing that we have to do? First thing we have to do is try and work out the meaning of this book for the original readership. So that's going back to try and work out what it meant for people in the 5th century BC. It's the first thing we've got to do. But we are in this group here, a group of New Testament Christians. What's the other thing that we must do to understand this book? We must view this story through the lens of what we call redemptive history. Do you see what I mean by that? Like if we're going to understand the book of Esther, we've got to interpret it as it sits in its context of the whole Bible. So we're coming to this story and we're asking, what are we taught in the story about the grand overarching storyline of the gospel? Now we think about that as we approach Esther chapter 1. Surely this morning you see what it is that God is encouraging us to do, do you? Today we are being encouraged to compare and contrast this wicked, what would you call him? Wicked, self-seeking, evil King Xerxes. To compare and to contrast him with the one who is a better king. To compare this horrible ruler with the one who is the ruler over the kingdom of God. To compare him with our king, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, Christian friends in here, I would ask you to consider what it is that you're reminded of about Jesus when you compare him to Xerxes. Now, unlike, see it, unlike Xerxes, our king is a king who has true and who has real power. Is that not what we're seeing here? Like he is like not a, an impotent sham leader like Xerxes, but that our king is a sovereign who rules truly and rules over all people. Over all things, our king is one who rules over all eternity. Add to that, though, the unlike this king Xerxes foolishly seeking advice from those idiots. What's your king? Your king is a king of infinite wisdom. Oh, just think about that for a moment, will you? Your king today is one who knows all information and all details about what? About your life and about your situation and about your future. He knows everything there is to know about your status and relationship with God. And then you add to that that unlike Xerxes foolishly clambering around for false honor, who is your king? Who is Jesus he is a king who is actually worthy of all the honor and glory he receives from us today. That he is actually one who is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise that he will one day receive from every single person who has ever walked this earth. But I think we have to close with one very, 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 very slight similarity between these two kings. 
See, we said at the start here that Esther begins with what? What does it begin with? It begins with a banquet. Now, what I need you to see is that that there is a theme throughout the book. There is a banquet at the beginning of Esther. Just to dumb it in, there's three of them. Then there is a banquet smack bang in the middle of Esther. And there is a banquet to end the book of Esther. And it's there in that theme that we see the similarity, do we not? Because isn't it true that our king is also a king who has prepared a feast? And Christian friends, I want you to meditate upon that as you leave this church this morning. You ready? Think about it. One day you are going to join your king in celebration. And isn't it worth pondering? Is it not worth considering this morning that that is coming and that is going to happen? Think about it! Jesus has prepared a banquet. Not this sort of drunken, debauched mess you've got in Esther. But a glorious banquet, the likes of which you and I cannot even begin to imagine just now. A feast, man. A feast that is going to go on longer than this. A feast, a party with such pomp and colour and circumstance and ceremony makes this, makes this look bland and dull. And you're going to be there. You're going to enter into that room. We are going to be there and we're going to worship the king. But, if you are not a Christian in here this morning, I know it's hot, but you listen to me. If you are not a Christian this morning, do you see the third invitation of Esther chapter 1? Think about Queen Vashti. That this eternal, almighty, glorious king today, he is inviting you to come in and feast with him. And he does not do this as this hard, horrible, harsh husband in Esther chapter 1. He does it as one entirely different. He does it as one who loves his bride so much. What has he done? He's laid down his life for her very sin. So I'm asking you, what are you going to do this morning with that invitation? Surely you're going to accept it. Surely this morning you are going to repent of your sin before the Lord Jesus Christ, even in here. And you're going to join together with us, with the people of God. And today, this morning, surely you are going to worship this all-powerful, this gracious, merciful. You are going to worship this better King. Let's pray.